0: Six wise men came to jean town, climbed a hill and never came down, found their flesh and lost their skins, flew away on stony wings. Five wise men came to jean town, walked a road not up nor down, were torn to many and turned to one, in the end left a task half done. Four wise men came to jean town, they spoke in words without a sound, they begged their queen to let them go, and what became of them, no one can know. Three wise men came to Jean-Pay town, they'd helped a king to keep his crown, but when they tried to climb the hill, down they came in a terrible spill. Two wise men came to Jean-Pay town, gentle women there they found, forgot their quest and lived in love, perhaps were wiser than ones above. One wise man came to jean town. He set aside both queen and crown, did his task, and fell asleep, gave his bones to the stones to keep. No wise men go to jean town to climb the hill and never come down. Tis wiser far and much more brave to stay at home and face the grave. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing chapter 25, Strategy. So the beginning part is the famous poem, the kids counting poem, as they call it. But it holds true meaning and holds history for the six duchies. Now there are some of these coteries because we all know that the wise men were coteries in this sense, going to carve their stone dragons. I feel like some of them match up with people that we know, but I don't think all of them can match up.
1: That's true. I mean, there's a possibility that they're just unnamed to us and that other people would be able to identify them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, do you have any ideas on who lines up with what?
1: Um, I'm going to guess. I don't know. This is hard because I have two trains of thoughts. Um, One is that this is like a prophecy from the white prophet that,
0: that came. Is, that is a theory. I've heard that. Yeah. Yes.
1: And so like this is all things that will happen after them.
0: And so in that case, the one wise man could be Verity. Yes. Left the queen and crown kind of thing.
1: Right. And the first with the six could be. What's the other king that they're following in the footsteps of Wisdom? Wisdom, yes. So like maybe the six are King Wisdom in his group, because they would have known a lot more about right. how to make things and who the elderling people actually are.
0: Yeah. Five I'm pretty sure it it's clear to be Realder's Coterie, which becomes Girl and a Dragon because right. they they argued and one of them wanted to be held away and eventually they left their task half done.
1: Yes four
0: this one this one i first thought of crossfire's coterie because all of them had some sort of disability Mm, and they might be more like some i think one of them was mute and they might be more willing to speak in their heads all the time but i think there were more than four i'm pretty sure it's like five or six right (laughs) in the in the whole coterie so
1: There's a potential that after a few had died, they were like, please, we don't want
0: to. It's just speculation at that point. Right. That's the only thing that came to mind. Otherwise, I have no idea. But it could just be a general. They spoke in words without a sound, just hint towards these are skilled ones. Right. Three wise men They helped a king keep his crown. But when they tried to climb the hill down, they came in a terrible spill. So I feel like. They weren't known. <laughs> like, yeah. Or oh. I've also heard, if it's the prophecy kind of thing, these are Regal's coterie. Mm. This is yes. Will and uh, who's who's the Carad and Burl. Yeah. They tried to help a king keep his crown, but they came down in a terrible spill when they tried to climb that hill. So, if we follow the prophecy thing, it kind of lines up with them a bit. True. But I, I feel like I we'll continue through. I'll, I'll address right, it right. afterwards. Two wise men, gentlewoman there they found, forgot their quest and lived in love. I feel like we wouldn't know them right. at all.
1: They're just people of yeah. Jean Pay. Good now. for them. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> they made the right decision. They passed the test.
0: And then the one wise man came to Jean Pei town, set aside both queen and crown. Again, it fits Verity, but Kettle comes to help him. And it's not listed in here if it is a prophecy.
1: Right. But.
0: And I don't know. There's just not a lot.
1: To be fair. I think if it is Verity. It could be said that it is one because he made the whole trip by himself and does most of the dragon on his own. And. I, I don't know. I mean, yes, he definitely needed help to finish it. But I think it still, in the way that it seems that the white prophets work, it would fit in their narrative of like, well, close enough, we can chew it in.
0: Right, right, yeah, it definitely could. The only thing I am skeptical of about the prophecy theory is one: the fool would have heard of these before if it was a prophecy, because he studied all of the prophecies that Claris had created or, like, gathered together, right? Mm-hmm. And he had never heard these, like, two verses of this song before. He states that later.
1: Well, here's my rebuttal to that, although I have no stake in this game. <laughs> <laughs> I think that this could be an unofficial prophecy. Also, were all of the prophets up until when Clarice becomes like the horrible place it is now sending every single prophecy to Clarice every time they had one like writing their own version and sending it in you know like once they were released into the world to be the white prophet to change the world were they being tracked
0: because i feel like they have a lot of hold it has a lot of hold on them i mean Prilcop wants to go back Like that's his main goal in life now. Like he feels like he needs to, you know, there's a certain, I don't know, it's like a home to them, I feel like.
1: But I felt like he only wanted to go back because the fool is saying that things had gotten so bad and he didn't believe. And he's like, well, they've lost their way. I can help. Maybe. I don't know. But I mean, obviously, I haven't read that recently, so I don't know for sure. That was just the vibe I get off my memory of that.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, I mean, it could be. But I wouldn't be surprised with how controlling Claris wants to be and what they became. Trying to get as much power as possible.
1: Right. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. And maybe the I mean, the fool did say that that rhyme was important at the very beginning. I think in the first book, he tells it to Fitz and tells him to remember and to think on it. And so maybe it is. But. Part of it was kept hidden from Clarice. Maybe this is like around the time when somebody is suspecting something's weird, so they leave out the last two verses.
0: Possibly, yeah. I don't know. I don't know.
1: I mean, I don't. <laughs> I don't know if it really affects it either way. <laughs> It'd be cool if it was a prophecy.
0: Yeah, so I, I feel like the prophecy thing has some. You have to fit it in to work it, like mm-hmm. to work with this poem. But some things do fit kind of nicely in it, so it's a possibility, but I don't know if I fully ascribe to it. I feel like it's more just used as a warning, and these are past coteries that no one either remembers or they just made it into a sing-songy rhyme thing, Right. and it's a warning for future people.
1: It does make me think of uh, Ring Around the Rosies."
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Where, like something tragic happens and then children make a rhyme out of it to like cope, I guess. (laughs) So
0: skill addiction is like the plague, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, essentially.
0: (laughs) So Fitz is still out of it. We are on the skill road. We're camping. And he is hazy. The fool is trying to wake up Fitz here. And he can barely form coherent thoughts. Starling and Ketrikin and the fool are there trying to make him awake, sit him up, everything like that. And Ketrickin saying it's midday. The storm hasn't let up since last night. And Fitz is just like, I don't know why you want to wake me up in the middle of the night. And he's just kind of out of it. You know, it's dark yeah. outside because of the storm. But still, he should be able to know that. Yeah, <laughs> it's midday.
1: He's having trouble remembering what is important to hang on to and what isn't and what thoughts are his and what is skill.
0: Yeah. And, and he even forgets who these people are briefly. There were so many people talking softly. I could not sort my thoughts from theirs. I beg your pardon. I told the woman politely. What did you ask me? Fits, the pale man hissed in exasperation. He reached behind me and dragged a pack over to him. He has elf bark in here for tea. Chade left it with him. It should bring him back to himself. He doesn't need that, an old woman said sharply. She crawled closer to me, reached up, and gripped my ear. She pinched it tightly. Ouch! Kettle! I rebuked her and tried to pull away. She kept her painful hold. Wake up, she told me sternly. Right now! So... A little pain brings him back to himself, centers on centers it, the skill back into himself and realizes that he is a singular person there right. and not bleeding all over. And he relates that he's had some nightmares last night and people are very worried about him around the tent. And he also asks where Night Eyes is, which is another big hint That (laughs) he is completely out of it. He doesn't know what's happening, and he has to be told that by Ketchikan that he went hunting.
1: Also, the fact that he didn't think to just reach out and ask him himself. He just was like, oh, there's supposed to be a dog here. Right. It's a very interesting.
0: Oh, a wolf there. Oh, my gosh. Excuse me.
1: (laughs) Night Eyes hates (laughs) me already. It's fine. (laughs) I love him. It's fine. There's a wolf missing and Fitz realizes that. But I think it's really interesting to see the way that Robin Hobb has made us feel as the reader also a little discombobulated while still being able to be like, come on, Fitz, what's going on? (laughs) So now we're all very worried because last chapter we kind of had a sense of, oh, maybe this isn't that big of a deal and even though we knew that it was not great.
0: Just like a growing sense of unease. Uh-huh. This kind of
1: this is slamming you it.
0: off in the dark.
1: Yeah, yeah you're like, <laughs> uh-oh, real bad.
0: Kettle is trying her best to snap him out of it, pinching his arm, kind of bringing him back around because he's talking to Night Eyes at this point.
1: And apparently that looks the same as whenever he's facing out to the skill, which is an interesting fact. <laughs>
0: I feel like that's just kind of fits, though. He just stares <laughs> off into space and be like...
1: Maybe Fitz fits like me and has a resting dumb face.
0: He can't multitask, you know? He, <laughs> he can't talk to Night Eyes and do stuff around him. He just has to stare off into the middle of nowhere.
1: <laughs> that is possible, but... I don't know. Something about it makes people worried for him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they're waiting for the storm to pass... They are camping there. They just kind of have to occupy themselves. Starling is asking, what is the matter with you? I feel as if you're not really here. And Fitz is trying to explain it a little bit. And he has to admit that he doesn't know what's going on with him. That he feels like he's caught in a dream. And if he doesn't concentrate on just staying awake, he could fall right back asleep. So Kettle is saying, like, okay, then concentrate. And... Denies the request of uh, the fool saying maybe you should sleep with like, no, like he has to stay awake. He will get more rest staying awake than in his dreams if he's saying he has nightmares like that. So talk to us, Fitz. Stay awake. You know, do something. Keep your mind occupied. Yes.
1: And the prompting of talk to us makes Fitz say about what? Because this is the man who does not like talking. (laughs) He seems like somebody who is much more apt to listen than he is to share anything.
0: Also, somebody raised as an assassin slash spy in the court saying, like, secrets are power. Being prompted, talk to us. Yeah. Is kind of like, "Mm, about what? I don't have anything to say.
1: (laughs) I don't know anything. I am but a simple farm boy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Ketrakin takes the opportunity and asks about Verity. Did you dream about Verity last night? Is skilling last night what has left you so dazed today? One does not answer a direct question from one's queen with a lie. He sighs and says yes. And basically just describes the state that Verity is in. It was a dream. It'll bring you small comfort. He's alive. He's cold in a windy place. He's not going to let me see any more than that. And Ketrickin is extremely hurt by this. Why would he behave so? she asked. The hurt on her face was as if Verity himself had shoved her away. He warned me severely against all skilling. I had been watching Molly and Biric. It was so hard to admit this, for I wanted to speak nothing of what I had seen there. Verity came and took me away from there, and warned me that our enemies might find them through me and hurt them. I believe that is why he concealed his surroundings from me. Because he feared that if I knew them, somehow Regal or his coterie might come to know them. Does he fear that they seek for him also? Ketrikin asked wonderingly. So it seems to me, though I felt no tremor of their presence, he seems to believe they will seek him out either by the skill or in the flesh. And so Ketrikin is very hurt, obviously, by Verity not giving any information on where he is so they can come and find him. Right. But Fitz shares that Verity is terrified. Right. And again, we see the result of I know we last episode we talked about his paranoia about people watching him and coming for him. And Fitz relaying to the relaying this to the group makes Ketriken understand a little bit. Right. But also scared for him because she's piecing together that Fitz is skilling and he's absent-minded and can't focus on anything and has all of them there, and then Verity was alone facing all of this. And, you know, surely he was strong enough to go through this, right? Because the Coterie's coming for him, but Fitz is scared. Should Verity be, like, that terrified? Is he in danger even more than we know? That sort of thing. Like, she, she's trying to gauge how worried she should actually be.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I don't think Fitz is coming off as scared, necessarily, because I think he's too... Like, I don't know, weird right now to yeah, that's like things are odd, but I think the fact that Fitz is struggling so much being here is what's worrying to her because, like you said, he has all of them to keep him on track and to make sure that he doesn't just sleep his life away. Um, and she he didn't, and that would be very scary, right? But I still think it's hard because. While Ketrakin and most people in the tent know that Regal is a bad person, I, I still think it's hard for them to grasp the level of which Regal is a bad person. And I think this comes back to the whole thing of, like, we measure other people's bushel with our own measurements and not theirs. You know, the whole thing full set. said. <laughs> uh, but Regal isn't a normal bad guy. He isn't just being mean. He is playing with people's lives. And although Ketrickin and the group has been told this on multiple occasions, I don't think they're quite grasping it because it hasn't happened to them. Because sometimes it's hard, especially when faced with such evil, to fully understand what a person is talking about when they say this person is a bad person, unless you have felt the direct effects of that person or seen it yourself, just how humans are in nature. So I think there's also this struggle of why is Verity so afraid? I don't, it doesn't make any sense even though Fitz has told her multiple times like that Regal will kill him. This is very dangerous. It's just this magic that they don't understand on top of not understanding the depths of which Regal hates his own sibling. And I don't know. I guess I think that's something that also plays to this conflict that continuously pops up.
0: Mm hmm. Definitely. And so they discuss King Verity being alone and all of the dangers that he's facing. And Fitz has to, you know, reassure Ken a little bit here that, you know, I, all I can do is trust that he knows what he's doing best and that I can tell you that he's alive and we just have to obey his orders, you know, and she's kind of mollified by that, but still, you know, obviously put out a little bit by that direction. Right. Cause she wants to know that he's safe. And she says, would that we could leave now this very minute, but only a fool defies a storm such as this one. And so kettle interrupts that line of thinking and Settles into the task at hand to distract Fitzchivalry. <laughs> she says, While we bide here, Fitzchivalry is in constant danger, Kettle informed us, all eyes turned to her. What makes you say so, Kettle? Ketrikin asked. She hesitated. Anyone can see it is so. Unless he is kept talking, his thoughts drift, his eyes become empty. He cannot sleep at night without the skill coming upon him. It is obvious that the road is at fault they argue a little bit and Ketchikan's like, well, yeah, those things happen, but it's not obvious that it's the road. It could be anything. And Fitz interrupts and says, no, I'm I'm pretty sure it is the road. So Kettle, I feel like here, overstepped herself a little bit, revealed a little bit more that she knows more than she's letting on. Right. And both Ketchikan and Fitz pick up on that. And so and the fool, obviously, with conversations later on in this book as well. The Ketrickin wants Fitz to explain why it's the road and how he'd never felt like this before traveling on it, things like that. And Fitz again is kind of at a loss for words. He doesn't fully understand what's going on with him because he doesn't have the background in the skill, he doesn't have the context, he doesn't have the education for it. But he points out a lot of odd things about it, how it is extremely level. It does not rise or fall really ever how it sits below the ground how no living thing stays on it how a log had fallen across it and the log on either side of the road was still there but it was rotting and almost gone on the road itself it's just very odd and he says some force moves still in that road to keep it so clear and true and i think whatever it is it is related to the skill I just want to talk about it a little bit because we know this is skill worked. Right. And I don't know if we learn again later if it's, you know, something specific or not or like this was a special road in any way. But I feel like it's just a road that was imbued with the memory. You are a road, remain a road. <laughs> like you are right, <laughs> remain straight and true kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting thing to think about skill work because whether or not the intention is to become something powerful, this mundane road has become powerful. And not just that, but embedded with memories. Mm -hmm. As we get further along, we see the ghosts of the people when Fitz has to walk on the road again. And this is true in all of the cities of the Elderlings because they also are skill created. And so I'm wondering if that's on purpose. I know that some of the memory keeping is on purpose, but I wonder if they knew when they built everything that every living thing that passed over this has a chance of a little bit of them being stuck here.
0: Yeah, I don't know. And it could be that it is mundane back when it was created because it was just a road. And now that all of that has fallen into ruin Mm -hmm. and faded, this is the most magical thing they've ever seen, you know? (laughs) Right,
1: right. Well, I think of it like they were trying out highways and then civilization uh, collapsed and just the highways are left. So so it'd be weird if you were, like, reverted back to medieval time and then saw a highway. True. Like, why on earth would they need this very nicely paved road? Although debatable if you live in Wisconsin. but (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I... It would be kind of weird. And it is weird to me that it starts in the middle. Like, did they just not finish building it to wherever they wanted it to go? Because it kind of just starts in the middle of the forest. I I don't
0: know. Either that or something was there or it was, you know, a trade road that it splits off from there and they didn't need the highway anymore. They just used the county roads, you know? Mm, Yeah.
1: (laughs) But still, I don't know. feels weird that it just starts in the middle of the woods somewhere. Who knows? They're gone. They can't tell us.
0: Ketrickin's asking, what do you, meaning Fitz, suggest that we do? And Fitz replies, nothing for now. We'd be foolish to you know, try the storm, as you said, so we just kind of wait. And tomorrow we just walk. Well, I'll walk beside the road while you guys walk on it. And hopefully mm-hmm. that's better because the road is the only way that we can follow at this point. Kettle is grumbling and saying that will be a little better for you. But Fitz is like, well, that's all the choice that we have at the moment. He already walked it alone and he managed it. I will manage somehow. And now we get on to preoccupying his mind because Kettle is once again (laughs) nudging him like, hey, then we have to do something so you can, you know, preoccupy your mind and don't drift off.
1: Right. Before that, I just do, I just had the thought, why is Ketriken so weird about, oh, this, this probably doesn't have anything to do with the road.
0: I just feel like it's nothing that they have encountered ever before. And it was suggested before this chapter that it could be a fever. It could be, you know, right. something like that. So she doesn't know anything about the skill. Why would you immediately go to, it's magic. It's nothing I can help when... She's there. If it's something that she could help, she wants it to be that.
1: Right. Well, I just mean that Fitz has been dealing with a lot of skill struggles since coming to the road. And it's all skill related, like everything that has been happening to him. She doesn't know that. But he said that out loud. He talks about how he's in a dream. He can't wake up. And this is
0: like it could be fever dreams, though.
1: I suppose in, in,
0: in her viewpoint, that's. She doesn't know anything about the skill. She doesn't know that it takes you to see different things, really. That's
1: fair. I guess that makes more sense. But I was just like, he's like literally telling them, oh, this is weird. <laughs> I have like an onslaught of skill problems. And they're like, probably not the skill road, though.
0: <laughs> Kettle's the only one that has been trained in the skill there. Besides yeah. Besides Fitz. Well, including Fitz, really. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It just, that part really, I was like, why is... Why is she being so weird about this? Like, but I guess, yeah, she doesn't know what we know about the skill. So.
0: So Kettle suggests. uh, That Starling has a heart, like plays her harp and sings for everybody just to try to occupy some space. So it's not silent. There's nothing going on at all. Starling says, I have a harp. It's a poor thing compared to my old one that was taken from me at Moon's Eye. For a moment, her face emptied and her eyes turned inward. I wondered if that was how I looked when the skill pulled at me. Kettle reached to pat her softly on one knee, but Starling flinched to the touch. Still, it's what I have and I'll play it if you think it will help. That's a a foreshadowing, a recall to the traumatic events that she experienced at Moon's Eye, not just her fingers breaking, which was probably the least of them. Right. The For her, a repeat of the raiding mm-hmm. that forced her to leave. And now she lost her harp and her new harp is a reminder of that because it is very shoddy and she does not know how to work wood at all. <laughs> yes,
1: because apparently she was breaking all the wood when she tried. So her master told her to stop wasting good wood.
0: Yep. <laughs> She began the opening notes of an old buck ballad when she was interrupted by a snowy nose poking its way into the tent door. Night eyes, the fool welcomed him. I've meat to share, this came as a proud announcement, more than enough to gorge well on. It was not an exaggeration. When I crawled out to the tent to see his kill, it was some—it was a sort of boar. Ketrikin scratched the wolf behind the ear with a mitten hand and praised him overmuch for his bravery and skill until he fell over in the snow, overcome with pride in himself.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> As he should.
0: Yes. <laughs> Fitz is very much like, okay, stop being so proud of yourself here. But it is a great kill. They start yeah. dressing the boar, and it's a lot of meat to take down by himself, so he did a great job and drag it back.
1: Yeah. Which is a big accomplishment. Mm hmm. But it also gives Fitz another task to yes. keep his mind from wandering.
0: And With Ketchikan too. Yes. Where they're more equals in that. And it's not, you know, she's the queen and I'm here following. And yes.
1: It's something that they both know how to do well. They can share equally in the task. Um, fool and Kettle... Can't stand the cold. So they are staying inside the tent and Starling just says, oh, I have my minstrel's hands to worry about. So she also stays inside the tent. So it also gives them a chance to be alone together, which I don't think they've really had since Fitz came back. Yeah. And it's just good to have something to do with their hands instead of have to worry about how awkward it is with them
0: now. And so when they dress the boar, they start cooking some meat. Night Eyes is settling down and being insufferably satisfied with himself. And that's where Night Eyes informs Fitz, like, hey, I did this by myself. I'm proud of myself. <laughs> Shove off. Yeah. <laughs> and all the while, the fool scratched his ears. <laughs> and so they had tea, they had hot meat, and Night Eyes says, this is pack. And I could do no more than agree. "'Starling cleansed her fingers of grease and took her heart back from the fool who had asked to see it. "'To my surprise, he leaned over it with her and traced down the frame with a pale fingernail, saying, "'Had I my tools here, I could shave the wood here and here, and smooth a curve like so along this side. "'I think it might fit your hands better.' "'Starling looked at him hard, caught between suspicion and hesitancy. "'She studied his face for mockery but found none.' Carefully, she observed as she as if she spoke to us all and relays that her master told her off, like you said, Emma, and yeah. stop ruining good, work, good wood. And the fool offers, like, I, I can help you.
1: And he also mentions that if they were back in Jean-Pay, that he would give her all the wood that she wanted to mess around with and ruin because there's no better teacher than experience Mm -hmm. and that it's not really fair to expect her to be able to do it if she hasn't had a chance to try, which is oddly kind for the fool. (laughs) (laughs) All of this is, I mean, he's not, there is no poking fun at all. Right. And I partly wonder if that's because this is, mostly his personality that he's not as mean quote unquote as the fool we know of Fitz's childhood
0: because the fool is a, is a part to play for him
1: yes and so I wonder if this is a little bit of beloved shining
0: through of yeah could someone be someone
1: who is a little bit nicer and
0: see someone who has suffered yes Helps is, them out.
1: yeah showing a kindness I don't know it's very interesting to think about
0: So the fool offers to shave and and shape it as best as he can with the tools he has in the tent, and she accepts that. Fitz wonders when they had set aside their hostilities, and realized that he had not for some days paid much attention to anyone save himself. I had accepted that Starling wanted little more to do with me than to be present if I did something of vast import. I had not made any of friendship's demands upon her. Both Ketterkin's rank and her grief had imposed a barrier between us that I had not ventured to breach. Kettle's reticence about herself made any true conversation difficult, but I could think of no excuse for how I had excluded the fool and the wolf from my thoughts lately. "'When you throw up walls against those who would use skill against you, you lock more than your skill sense inside,' Nighteyes observed. I sat pondering that.' It seemed to me that my wit and my feeling for people had dimmed somewhat of late. Perhaps my companion was right. Kettle poked me suddenly, sharply. "'Don't wander,' she chided me. "'I was just thinking,' I said defensively. "'Well, think aloud, then. "'I've no thoughts worth sharing just now.' Kettle glowered at me for being uncooperative. "'Recite, then,' commanded the fool, "'or sing something, anything to keep yourself focused here.' "'That's a good idea,' Kettle agreed.' And Fitz says, I know one song, Crossfire Sacrifice, because he decides he doesn't want to recite any of Poisoner's knowledge or anything. Right,
1: because that's really all he knows outside of the Crossfire Sacrifice, which he only knows because of his Harper brief Josh. travel. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: And now Kettle scowled. So I, I do after after the next couple passages here, I do want to come back to some of the reactions to the song that he chose and the song that um, eventually Kettle chooses to recite. So, first off, Starling strikes up the opening notes and cringes a couple times at sour notes <laughs> that he has, but he does get through everything and. He notes that, for whatever reason, his choice of song displeased Kettle, who sat grim and staring at him defiantly. When Fitz finishes, he passes it to Ketchikan, and then she passes it to the Fool, and then Kettle was left. And she recites the Jean-Pay counting verse.
1: Six wise men went to Jean-Pay town. Mm
0: Mm-hmm all the time eyeing me as if each word from her cracked old voice were a barbed meant just for me. But if there was a veiled insult there, I missed it, as well as the reason for her ill will. So, one, we know Kettle is from a coterie back in the day. Yes. A coterie that where she and her sister were involved romantically with the leader of that coterie, And when she found out, Kettle killed her sister. Fitz's choice of singing Crossfire's Sacrifice, of a coterie who worked together and sacrificed themselves for their queen, Mm -hmm. uh, probably dug some barbs into Kettle and thought she might have thought it was directed at her personally, just because... She has been bugging him and he seems kind of like put out by like, hey, don't bother me kind of thing. Right. So she recites six wise men of Jean-Pay as a rebuttal saying like, no wise men go follow this path. You guys are both stupid. (laughs) You and Verity both for doing this. Mm -hmm. So it's I don't know. I I Mm. rereading this section is really interesting because you can you can see like some thought process from Kettle. And I could be wrong in that thought process, but in my mind, it makes sense. And it follows that like natural emotional connection of her being angry and trying to throw barbs (laughs) at Fitz. Right.
1: And we know for a fact, though, that Crossfire Queen Crossfire is too old or like too far back to potentially be kettles, oh plate. yeah,
0: it's it's not kettles okay. for sure, yeah, it's just the the song is a shining example of what a coterie should be, basically, <laughs> and that being sung right after Kettle says you should recite something seems like a personal attack to True. her because her coterie did not, like they they presumably. Their plan was to go to and carve their own dragon, but Kettle doesn't know what happens because she was exiled.
1: True. Maybe she's one of the ones we don't know anything about.
0: Yeah, could be.
1: Maybe it's the two (laughs) where they end up not going. (laughs) But yeah, it is really interesting to see, to put that kind of meaning behind it and see how she's reacting i do find it ironic though that if that is the case and that she's trying to be like see you and verity are both dumb she's also following this path (laughs) so what does that say about her but i was also thinking there are see kettle starling night eyes fool ketchikan Fitz. that's six wise men well if you don't (laughs) want to count night eyes there is always verity who went before them mm-hmm there's six of them which means that they probably would prevail
0: <laughs> yeah if all of them put the <laughs> put themselves into a trick.
1: well they don't fail anyway but
0: <laughs> spoiler geez <laughs> so this is also a very interesting start to the next paragraph here wolves sing together night eyes observed just as ketrakin suggested play us something we all know starling something to give us heart and I highlighted that section because more and more over the coming chapters, we see Ketrakin echoing some thought that Night Eyes has. It's right. happened in the past, but a little bit more rarely. And we see it coming more and more into focus as these chapters go on. And I think this is the first one that I noticed, at least in this book, mm. about her echoing a sentiment.
1: Yeah, this is definitely an interesting thing that happens. She does say, I think, later, obviously that sometimes she feels as though she can almost hear him. Yeah. And I wonder if that's a little bit of misunderstanding because Fitz tells us that Night doesn't speak to him with words. We read it as words because I don't think there's a way to communicate to us. Also, (laughs) I think he
0: translates the words in his head. He's still human thoughts kind of thing.
1: Right, but... From what it seems like from the few times Fitz has talked about how they actually talk, it seems like it's mostly just images or like gifs, if you will.
0: Yeah. And <laughs> just yeah, concepts of things. And-
1: yeah. And so I I find that very interesting because I wonder if that's why Ketchriken feels like she can't quite grasp what it is, because since she isn't as strongly witted she can't understand that she's not looking for a voice. It's just a feeling. And so it would be really easy to like subliminally, if you can kind of hear quote unquote the image.
0: Yeah. Just at the edge of her consciousness, it's kind Mm -hmm. of getting inceptioned in, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. I don't know. Which is also a very interesting concept to think about. (laughs) I don't know. I just really like the idea that Night Eyes is showing like, family some sense of family and then singing and then ketrigan's like we should all sing i for whatever reason i'm thinking about singing
0: <laughs> i don't know i like it and so as starling finishes a song that they all know and love they note that the wind is dying a little bit Ketriken crawls out from the tent and fitz follows her so they are alone outside and they they note that the storm is almost blowing itself out here. Fitz remarks that it's none too soon for him because he can still hear the come to me come to me over and over in his head building up. Somewhere up in those mountains or beyond them was Verity. And the river of skill. Cause so that's always in the back of his mind, and I think that's something that both of us have to keep in mind is high on Fitz's motivations at this point. Right. Petrickin says, as for me, would that I had followed my instincts a year ago and gone to the ends of the map. But I reasoned that I could do no better than Verity had done, and I feared to risk his child, a child I lost anyway, and thus failed him both ways. Failed him? I exclaimed in horror. By losing his child? His child, his crown, his kingdom, his father. What did he entrust me with that I did not lose Fitzchivalry? Even as I rush to be with him again, I wonder how I can meet his eyes. "'Oh, my queen, you are mistaken in this, I assure you. He would not perceive that you had failed him, but fears only that he abandoned you in the greatest of danger. "'He only went to do what he knew he must,' Ketrakin said quietly, and then added plaintively. "'Oh, Fitz, how can you speak for what he feels when you cannot even tell me where he is?' Where he is, my queen, is but a bit of information, a spot on the map. But what he feels, and what he feels for you, that is what he breathes. And when we are together in the skill joined mind to mind, then I know such things, almost whether I would or no. I recalled the other times that I had been privy unwillingly to Verdi's feelings for his queen, and was glad the knight hid my face from her. Would this skill were a thing I could learn— do you know how often and how angry I have felt with you solely because you could reach forth to the one I longed for and know his mind and heart so easily? Jealousy is an ugly thing, and always I have tried to set it aside from me, but sometimes it seems so monstrously unfair that you are joined to him in a way such in such a way, and I am not it never had never occurred to me that she might feel such a thing awkwardly. I pointed out. The skill is as much curse as it is gift, or so it has been to me. Even if it were a thing I could gift you with, my lady, I do not know that it is a thing one would do to a friend. To feel his presence and his love for even a moment fits. For that I would accept any curse that rode with it. To know his touch again in any form. Can you imagine how I miss him? I think I can, my lady, I said quietly molly like a hand gripping my heart chopping hard winter turnips on the tabletop the knife was dull she would ask beer to put an edge on it if he ever came in from the rain he was cutting wood to take down to the village and sell tomorrow the man worked too hard his leg would be hurting him tonight ketchikan snaps him out of that reverie and says i'm sorry irony all my life it has been so difficult to use the skill came and went like the winds of his ship's sails now I am here and suddenly skilling is as effortless as breathing and I hunger to use it to find out what is happening to those I love best but Verity warns me I must not and I must believe he knows best so they stand there as equals and he wants to put an arm around her but she is the queen so he does not what comfort could he give her she needed no comfort from one such as I, surely. Right. So, what, a, what a tough couple pages there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it does a really good job of explaining Ketriken's side and showing why she's been so stubborn and angry with Fitz. And the tragedy that she has gone through. It's such a funny thing because when you're reading a book, you are putting yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I think that sometimes it's easy to get caught up in the character's shoes you are portraying and to forget of how other people think and what they're going through. We try to do that on this podcast because,
0: especially for yeah. first person, yeah, it's hard to. And yeah, I, I mean, it's hard for me on this podcast too to pull myself out of Fitz's shoes sometimes. But
1: right, it it's is like important. something that is hard, especially because we don't have the same level of detail of Ketriken's life as we do of Fitz, or really any other character for that matter. So it is a lot harder.
0: <laughs> and Fitz's emotional growth was stunted when he was young going through so many traumatic events that his grasp of social situations isn't 100% accurate. No. So, so it's very hard to read through the lines in between Fitz's like, hazing of the situation. You right.
1: Know? <laughs> right. And so it is really good to get this of, hey, remember that we don't have all the puzzle pieces. Fitz is not a reliable narrator. There are things that he misses too. Just from his social inability to grasp, (laughs) which is not a dig. That is just some people have trouble with that. Yeah. And so it is a good reminder that we don't know what is fueling everybody here. And for Ketrakin to have been carrying that all alone, I feel so bad for her because, you know, she did not tell that to Jade. Oh, no. There's no way she was able to open up like this to anyone I mean, maybe what? some of her friends at And Fitz,
0: all... no, no, I don't think she would either, because she's a sacrifice. She has to bear that burden. Right. She doesn't want to embarrass Verity further, right. saying that his wife failed him in those ways. So she really, in a lot
1: of ways, needed Fitz.
0: Yeah. And it's another example. He won't notice that because of that last paragraph. Briefly, she seemed that tall, slender girl who had come from the mountains to be Verity's bride. But now she was the queen of the six duchies, and I had seen her strength. Surely she needed no comfort from one such as I. She is confiding in you.
1: Yes. Because she,
0: she needs your strength, because yes. you're there to rely on and she trusts you.
1: That's what friends do. Like and,
0: friends. And that's the sort of frustration that we have as readers with Fitz of like, right. you're so stupid, just comfort her kind of thing. But through his lens, that makes complete sense. I don't know. Right. It's it's so frustrating and so visible of an example of what we're talking about right now. It's, I don't know, it's it's really well done, but it's also so frustrating.
1: Right. And I do feel so bad for Ketrakin and that she has been struggling with feeling like such a failure. And I think before this point, we know that she's upset and obviously losing a child is horrific, but I don't think we've realized just how hardly she has taken th- these losses and that she is, like, putting it all on herself. And while maybe some of the things that have happened are partially due to things that she has done, I don't think it's fair for her to take the full blame of oh. everything that has happened.
0: His child, and, his crown, his kingdom, his father. Like, that? No. no. <laughs> No, Ketchikan. No,
1: <laughs> it's just you're so a
0: queen. Come on, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> it. I don't know. I just feel so bad. And then also for her to admit that part of the thing holding her back from reuniting with Fitz in a friendship way, one of the things that is blocking her friendship with Fitz on her end is that she is so incredibly jealous that she's been needing someone to lean on. And he can, at the drop of a hat, be with her husband and know everything about him, know what he's thinking. There's nothing separating them. And just, especially with how precarious their relationship has always been, Verity and Ketrickin, knowing that there is somebody out there who could literally read his mind, that would be so frustrating.
0: Yeah, and... Obviously, as readers and as rereaders specifically, we know that that's not actually the case. Right. Especially with Fitz. And Fitz explains, oh, it's more like a curse, blah, blah, blah. But that's another great example of what characters know. Because to Fitz and to us readers, we get mired in the skill is a curse. Mm-hmm. 100% gives him headaches every single time. There's extreme danger in the skill. There's enemies seeking you in the skill. Ward yourself at all times. It's not that useful because you have to hide. It takes incredible strength out of you. And everybody else looks at it, this is the king's gift. You can read minds. You can see far-distance things. It's amazing. Why wouldn't you want this?
1: Except Some of those far-distance things are your people getting murdered every single night. Well, right.
0: But they don't know that either. (laughs) No.
1: No, exactly. So it's
0: it's just Ketrakin looking in. Obviously a little uneducated about what it actually is. But from her point of view that would be incredibly um
1: yeah frustrating i'd be so and, mad yeah i if i was traveling with my friend and he and i hadn't seen you in like over 2 years and he was like casually spouting off like he had just read your mind about a situation that i'm venting about i'd be really mad i'd be like hey it's not cool like i wish i could talk to him and then he'd be like oh well it's kind of a curse he'd be like okay you're just trying to make me feel better whatever I, maybe there are some bad things i do Whatever it takes. But like, I can totally see how frustrating it would be to (laughs) be like, ah, he's like right there. And yet still Verity is not acknowledging her in any of the conversations between him him and Fitz and is not telling them where to go, is not doing anything. And I'm sure that's why she feels so hurt whenever Fitz comes back and says he won't tell me where they are because she's probably taking that on herself of like, he's mad at me for doing all these failures. Mm -hmm. Like I failed him so much. He doesn't want me to come instead of realizing that he doesn't want to give an exact location to his enemies. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I just feel really bad for Ketrakin.
0: So in silence, they work a little bit more on the boar, go back inside and kettle once again, takes up, the task of preoccupying Fitz's mind, and we are introduced to apparently the best skill game in the world: stones.
1: Yes, <laughs> it kind of makes me think of um. Oh, I can't think of what it's called now. Chinese checkers.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Except you would have multiple colored stones. Oh on no, side. go, go! Yeah, I think I was gonna say more, more like go, but the stones can move.
1: I, I I don't, don't know, know how Go works. I just know that it is black and white stones.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's also red <laughs> in this one too. Oh yeah, so that's true. It's yeah, there is differences, but it feels something like that where you take turns placing different stones, but you can like move the stones too, and it seems also, interesting.
1: Also a little bit like that line game. I don't know if you've ever played this as a kid, but sometimes on like the paper me- kids menus at restaurants, um, there would be this game where you had to make a box and as soon as you could make a box, whoever closed the box off, got to put their initial in the box.
0: Mm, yeah. I do and then you had that. to like
1: have the most initials on the board. It kind of also yeah. gives me that vibe.
0: Yeah. I haven't played that game in forever. I know. I
1: don't know what it's called, <laughs> but that one was like really frustrating to play with
0: my siblings. <laughs> <laughs> so kettle sits down, explains the rules and well attempts to and she says you'll understand it when you've lost a few times and Fitz says I lost more than a few times she kept him at it for a long hours after they had eaten the fool continues to work on Starling's harp Ketrakin was silent almost moody until the fool noticed her melancholy mood and began to tell tales of buckkeep life before she had come there so Fitz overhears and Kettle hears the fool's tales of the time before the red ships, before they were no more than a tale, before it was secure if not happy at Buckkeep. And it eventually turns to the various minstrels that the fool had seen play there, and Starling was asking <laughs> questions about those.
1: As one would.
0: Yes. So we get a description of stones here. It was strangely strangely soothing, the stones themselves were red, black, and white. Smoothly polished and pleasant to hold. The game involved each player randomly drawing stones from the pouch, then placing them on the intersections of lines on a patterned cloth. It was a game at once simple and complex. Each time I won a game, Kettle immediately introduced me to more complicated strategies. It engrossed me and freed my mind from memories or ponderings. When finally all the others were already drowsing in their sleeping skins, she set up a game on the board and bade me study it. It can be won decisively in one move of a black stone, she told me, but the solution is not easy to see. How long did it take you to learn as a child? She smiled to herself. I was a fast learner, but I will will admit you are faster. I thought this game came from some far land. No, it's an old buck game never seen it played before it was not uncommon when i was a girl but it was not taught to everyone but that is of no matter now study the layout of the pieces in the morning tell me the solution that hint right there it was not uncommon but it was not taught to everybody obviously there were lots of coteries being trained or skill users in general not just coteries could be journeymen it could be you know solos Mm -hmm. wells or anything like that People who needed that, that concentration, that yes. distraction, that fortitude of the mind.
1: Yeah, it definitely rings true. Especially the line that it was not taught to everyone. Mm-hmm. That when not everybody has a skill and maybe not everybody was allowed to learn this game. Which, I don't know why you wouldn't be able to play a game whether or not you're skilled.
0: <laughs> that comes up later too in the Tawny Man Trilogy. Because yeah. Fitz teaches Dutiful how to play it. Yes. And Dutiful teaches his friend who is Old blood? the Brasinga mm-hmm. um, kid. I don't remember his name at all. But nope. <laughs> Fitz feels really weird about the young nobles playing that because he's like, I don't know, this isn't whatever. It's... And it turns into like, this is a man's game. Yeah. And Fitz has to come in and sell Dutiful. No, like a woman taught this to me. It's not a man's game. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what? Oh my gosh, yeah. It, there's something <laughs> so interesting about
1: tradition and its hold on Fitz. Yeah. Where Fitz feels as though because something is a tradition it must be that way
0: forever. Which it feels like it kind of roots in his desire to be unchanging Mm. forever. You know he doesn't want the status quo to be upset really unless it's really bad for him. If it's a certain way he wants it to remain the same so it doesn't upset any balance. Right. In his life.
1: That's fair. It's just, I don't know. I find that such an interesting thing as someone who grew up with a religious background that like was it was talked a lot about a lot. Are traditions worth keeping? And I I found some very interesting in my own life some very interesting conversations on the topic of traditions as a whole anyway. And so I always find that when I find the that argument I don't know if it's really an argument but that like thought process being played out in a character in a book I I like catch on to that and (laughs) I'm very intrigued by
0: (laughs) yeah what the author is writing it's a very interesting situation in general right
1: yeah because there is the argument of like just because it's a tradition doesn't mean that you need to do it all the time and Mm -hmm. if you don't then what's the point of tradition and where do you draw the line between this is okay and that isn't it's it's a hard topic
0: yeah definitely but
1: yeah definitely something that Fitz seems to want to keep
0: (laughs) so when he lays down at night he dreams just of this stone game trying to solve it he wakes up early he's the first one he goes outside and ponders it some more and night eyes comes over to him Rests his head on his shoulder where he sits and says, I'm tired of dreaming of rocks. Lift up your eyes and see the whole thing, little brother. It is a hunting pack, not isolated hunters. See that one. Put the black there and do not use the red to displace a white, but set it there to close the trap. That is all. I was still wondering at the marvelous simplicity of Night Ice's solution when Kettle awoke. With a grin, she asked me if I had solved it yet. In answer, I took a black stone from the pouch and made the moves the wolf had suggested. Kettle's face went slack with astonishment. Then she looked up at me in awe. "'No one has ever figured it out that rapidly,' she told me. "'I had help,' I admitted sheepishly. "'It's the wolf's game, not mine.' Kettle's eyes grew round. "'You are jesting with an old woman,' she rebuked me carefully. "'No, I am not,' I told her, as I seemed to have hurt her feelings.' I thought about it for most of the night. I believe I even dreamed about game strategies. But when I woke, it was Night Eyes who had the solution. She was silent for a time. I had thought that Night Eyes was a clever pet. One who could hear your commands even if you did not speak them aloud. But now you say he can comprehend a game. Will you tell me he understands the words I speak? Across the tent, Starling was propped up on one elbow, listening to the conversation. Fitz is a little reticent to speak on this topic
1: right and i can see why starling would
0: want to listen yes (laughs) nobody ever
1: talks about the wit what is it tell me some secrets which relatable that would be me
0: (laughs) but fitz squares his shoulders and speaks on as if he was reporting to verity here we are wit bound what i hear and understand he comprehends as i do what interests him he learns i do not say he could read a scroll or remember a song but if a thing intrigues him, he thinks on it in his own way. As a wolf, usually, but sometimes almost as anyone might. He saw the game as a pack of wolves driving game, not as black and red and white markers, and he saw where he would go, where he hunting with that pack to make their kill more likely. I suppose that sometimes I see things as he sees them, as a wolf. It is not wrong, I believe, only a different way of perceiving the world. So, there's a lot of superstitious fear and a lot of apology or defensiveness in Fitz's response and explanation there as well. Right. It's like, oh, it's just a different way. It's not wrong. And Kettle has to kind of say, okay, what do you do with him? Is it like skilling from human to human, only to a wolf? And this is where he explains a little bit that it starts more like a sharing of feelings especially when he was a child following smells chasing a chicken because it would run enjoying food together but it starts to go beyond feelings when you are bonded longer and it's never really words i am more aware of the animal that my mind lives inside and he is more aware of thinking of what becomes comes before and after choosing to do an action one becomes aware that one is always making choices and considers what the best ones are and that Last passage was from Night Eyes, which fits relays to Kettle. And she faintly says, I see, I see, gets up and leaves the tent to think. We get a little insight into how the wit works there. Yeah. And that's, I think, specifically some of the most, I guess, meta commentary on what thoughts are exchanged between the two of them. Right.
1: It's very precise. Mm-hmm. Which normally in a vague sort of way yes (laughs) the most precise version of what of an explanation of magic i think this book gives us at all and i think something that was kind of skimmed over so i just want to point out kettle asks if this is like skilling to a human which is yeah how would she know what that's like if she was just some normal old lady. Good catch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's another one of those things that slips in that Fitz doesn't even remark on because he's so
0: like trying to explain this in a good light. (laughs) He's so (laughs) anxious
1: about being perceived as a wit monster that he wants to set the record straight. And I get Fitz wanting to set the record straight because to be fair, nobody really knows. It's like the skill. Nobody understands what it is. So they're all afraid of it. Mm -hmm. And only because Whereas the skill, to me, sounds way scarier. If I knew nothing, but one makes you talk to animals, the other makes you read people's minds. I'd be a little bit more concerned about the one that can read my mind. But that, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> and I, so I think it is good that he's taking an opportunity to, in front of a minstrel, <laughs> say that it's not weird. It, I mean, it is weird. It's just. But everything's weird, really, and it's just different and it's OK mm-hmm. and that it's not exactly the same as like people talking. But,
0: you know, right. Yeah. And, and specifically the interaction afterwards shows a little bit more of an acceptance, too. So Night Eyes is sitting up looking at Kettle cocking his head as she walks out and Starling sits up and stretches and says it gives one an entirely different outlook on scratching his ears the fool answered her with a snort of laughter, sat up in his bedding, and immediately reached his the eyes behind the ears. The wolf fell over on him in appreciation. I growled at both of them and went back to making tea. So we can see there that acceptance that, like, yeah. it's not really weird, you know, it's just a part of him. Yeah. And that's what it is. It is weirdly accepting of Starling
1: <laughs> because Starling seems to be defensive and... I would say it's
0: more accepting of fool, but I get your point that it's more of a hand reaching in the middle than before. <laughs> right. Well, that she's shown.
1: I I mean, it's she's usually defensive about things that she doesn't know or understand.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's true. So. Definitely true. She also has also been pretty frightened of Night Eyes in the past and just being witted in general.
1: To be fair, it was just a wolf. And she didn't probably didn't expect that Fitz was actually witted. So
0: <laughs> well, she didn't. She says that she thought it was just a story meant yeah. to make him evil. But because that's what she thinks about the wit. So, yeah, it is. She has grown quite a bit. Yeah. Already, it, at least accepting of this individual person.
1: Right. And I do find it interesting that. She. I don't know. She does reach over. I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the fool is the one who scratches yes. night eyes. Yeah. Kettle is thinking twice about scratching his ears because <laughs> he thinks like a human sometimes. Ooh, scary. <laughs>
1: starling, you
0: mean? Or starling, yeah. yeah. But to be fair, it would be a little weird if
1: somebody came up and scratched behind my ears. So
0: Yeah, true. <laughs> They'd pack up. The storm has let up a bit here. And Kettle announces that Fitz must not be allowed to walk on the road and that someone must always be with him. So they have to take turns walking alongside of him, basically with the road pretty much out of sight, as far away as possible. So they're kind of trudging through the woods. The fool volunteered quickly to be my first partner. Starling gave him an odd smile and a shake of her head over that. I accepted their ridicule by sulking manfully. They ignored that too. Kettle kind of scolds the fool for walking too close to the road with Fitz and they move further on and the fool takes this time to ask Fitz once again who is Kettle excitedly demanding who is Kettle you know as much as I do I pointed out shortly and added a question of my own what is between you and Starling now he lifted his eyebrows at me and winked slyly I doubt that very much Ah, not at all are as immune to my wiles as you are, Fitz. What can I tell you? She pines for me, yearns for me in the depths of her soul, but knows not how to express it. Poor thing. I gave it up as a bad question. What do you mean by asking, who is Kettle? And the fool goes on his little rant here, saying that it's not complex. Who is this who knows so much of what is troubling you? suddenly fishes out a pocket of a game I have only seen mentioned once in a very old scroll. And who sings, for us, six wise men went to jean town with two additional verses I've never heard anywhere. Who, O light of my life, is Kettle, and why does so ancient a woman choose to spend her last days hiking up a mountain with us? So he tries to dig with Fitz a, a little bit, and I don't know, I really don't know why he's plying Fitz with all these questions. Unless it's to lead him somewhere, if, like, the fool already guesses or if he thinks that Fitz knows.
1: I think it's a middle ground. I don't think that fool knows who Ketrick can... Obviously, he knows that she's older than she says because he yes. calls her an ancient woman. And I don't think that's just a dig that she's old. I think it's clear that the knowledge that she has is beyond her years in a way that is obvious now. I also think that he knows Fitz does not know the answers to these questions. Just trying to bounce ideas off, basically. Yes. But I, I do wonder if maybe there's some sort of like prophecy thing happening here where he feels the need to, like Fitz needs to figure out who Kettle is for things to work. And so he needs to ask questions to get him there. It's like, I don't know. I'm thinking, I guess, only of the other time when Fitz sang to him the the riddle, the Town Jean-Pay six wise men go to Jean Town riddle in front of everyone and made him embarrassed, but said, you know, you need to think on this. And there are multiple times when the fool has brought things to Fitz's attention that whether or not fool knew the answers or what they were needed for, he knew they were important for Fitz to think on. So I think it's something like that where... Fitz needs to figure out who Kettle is and maybe it is just to satiate his own curiosity, but maybe he knows it's important to the task at hand. And I don't know. I think Fool knows that Fitz sometimes overlooks things that seem obvious to think on, even though these are all good questions that Fool or Fitz is already thinking about. Fool isn't sure. And so probably just to be safe.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But he does dismiss Fitz's only contribution, saying she didn't like my song about crossfires coterie. Ah, uh, but let's—that could have easily just been your singing. Let's not grasp at straws here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know. I also love this interaction between Fitz and the Fool because it feels so much like two teenagers messing around.
0: He is the Fool is very energized today, and Fitz kind of remarks upon that as well. But. The fool won't really be sidetracked. He he is focused on Kettle, and despite his, you know, friendly ribbing, he kind of grows a little bit serious here and says, "'Mystery hovers about that woman, like flies on split spilt beer. She absolutely reeks of omens and portents and prophecies coming into focus. I think it is time one of us asked her a few direct questions. Your best chance will be when she is shepherding you along this afternoon. Be subtle, of course.' Ask her who was king when she was a girl and why she was exiled. <laughs> Which is a pretty funny statement. Yes. Be subtle. <laughs> Ask her why she was exiled and how old she really is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a difference from when the fool was previously talking to Fitz and asked who is Kettle. Because he said, I can't decide whether she is important or if she's just an old woman. Right. At some point recently. That changed into she is now important to our mission. You know, I, it could have been a situation or choice involving her. Right. She heard about Night Eyes or something and said, hey, I'll stick around or something. You know, it could be anything. But yeah. what we know is that that changed recently and she is now important and will stick along this trip to the end.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's really interesting to think about how the fool decides people are important. And I, the way I try to imagine how fool sees people is like the people who read auras, how like for anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's like when somebody looks at a person and says that they can see like a colorful field around the person, almost like a cloud around their head somewhat. (laughs) And so I kind of wonder if that's something, that's how I guess... I picture the fool seeing people and like in the auras are like images maybe, or maybe symbols that mean something to him. I don't know. I don't know how he's, how he knows anything, but maybe hers are changing and the more he learns, the more the symbols make sense or something. I
0: Could be, could be,
1: I guess I don't really know. That's all like complete speculation because we are never told that's what he does. But in we'll my mind, to, that's, I,
0: I would have to reread the last trilogy when B meets the fool, because we're from B's perspective and she kind of explains what happens when they touch. Right. And I feel like that would be similar.
1: I think that's why I have been thinking about it like that. She like makes some comment about when they, when they embrace, she can finally see and people are brighter and there are lines connecting people, which I guess isn't the same as an aura, but it's something it's, yeah. visible
0: that other people don't see. That yeah, and so I think show, that's you know yeah
1: something that import. I picked up on. And I'm like, oh, yeah. maybe that's what this is. <laughs> I
0: don't know. They kind of chat back and forth a little bit more, and Fitz once again asks about what's between you and Starling.
1: Before he does, yeah <laughs> he he asks how. F- Fool knows she has been exiled because that's surprising to Fitz. And he doesn't really get an answer. Fool just says that is a leap of the imagination. I don't think so. Ask her and be sure to tell me whatever she doesn't say. (laughs) Which I think is really interesting because we do know that she is exiled. And for whatever reason, Fool is picking up those vibes
0: Yeah, which is weird to me, too, because I don't know how, Mm -hmm. like, what clue could... Because we we know that she's exiled, but I haven't seen any clue or interaction, so...
1: Maybe because she said she hasn't been to Buckkeep in a really long time, and that's where she's from. And why would she be wandering so far away when she clearly likes Buck? Yeah, possibly. I don't know. Although there is a war going on, so why would you go back home? (laughs) But...
0: Maybe he saw her listening intently when he was explaining those stories about how Buckkeep was. Yeah, maybe. Was I don't know. So Fitz wants to know that secret of why Starling and him are good now or why they're acting their way they are. And the fool is very like, you know, I am hardly certain of that answer myself. Sometimes, if it was a secret or not, sometimes you surprise me, Fitz. More often you don't, of course. Most often I surprise myself. And he just deflects further and further away and just kind of like, I surprise myself because I'm trudging through the snow with a, you know, a person like you instead of I could be on a road with a charming trail of jeppas. So he doesn't answer at all and and Fitz kind of has to give it up. (laughs) But he is curious about what is between Starling and the Fool. Because Starling is his next companion to walk him Sounds like he's a dog or something. To walk (laughs) alongside him, I should say. Yes.
1: Keep him company.
0: Yes. She plied me with questions, not about Molly, but about the fool. To the point at which I began to wonder if she had conceived a sudden affection for him. There had been a few times at court when women had taken an interest in him and pursued him. To those who were attracted by the novelty of his appearance, he had been mercilessly cruel in exposing the shallowness of their interest. There had been one gardener-maid who, Im- who was impressed with his wit so much that she was tongue-tied in his presence. I heard kitchen gossip that she left bouquets of flowers for him at the base of his tower stairs, and some surmised that she had occasionally been invited to ascend those steps. She had had to leave Buckkeep Castle to care for her elderly mother in a distant town, and that had been where it ended as far as I knew. She comes back. Yeah, she does. Mm-hmm.
1: She's back to working at Buckkeep by the time Lord Golden arrives. Yep.
0: And, and she recognizes him.
1: She does. Which I think says a lot about her. Yeah. <laughs> because.
0: He's a like totally different skin color.
1: Yeah. And eye <laughs> color and hair color. Yep. And is different in attitude. I mean, it tricks fits most of the time. And yet she sees through it. And I don't know, I just think that's really interesting that this person had a genuine, had genuine feelings for the fool. And even though they weren't reciprocated, kept that all the way through her life. (laughs) I mean, maybe she's married by then and has kids, but like, you know, it's like, hey, I remember you. And
0: like, I think she does still lay a bouquet of flowers and gives in that and stuff. So,
1: yeah, she puts it on his breakfast tray Mm -hmm. and that's how they realize that she knows who he is.
0: Fitz remarks that even though as slight as that knowledge of the fool was, he kept it from Starling because he respects his friend's privacy.
1: And is also still mad at her with the whole Molly situation. Yes. So I think this is also a little bit payback of like, I told you stuff before and you went and blabbed it. So I don't trust you.
0: He says that he answers her questions with banalities that the two of them were childhood friends whose duties had left us very little time for socializing. This was actually very close to the truth, but I could see it both frustrated and amused her. Her other questions were as odd. She asked about his true name, um, about how he dressed as a child, and all of that was basically her just trying to dig information, and he kind of spars back with her, you know, And it ends up more of like, how much information can I give without actually giving up anything?
1: Right. I mean, Fitz does a rebuttal with, you know, I don't I didn't know my name when I came to the castle. So why would I I don't want to ask anybody else what their real names are. I just take them for what (laughs) they introduced me as, which super good point, Fitz. Uh, And his other point was that. uh, He was always wearing motley. I don't know what he wore. Cause he was always dressed up as a jester. That's what mm-hmm. he did. And, you know, I don't know. I think it's really interesting to see that Fitz is actually pretty good at keeping secrets when he mm-hmm. needs to. Oh
0: yeah. I he mean, is, we he is know good that. at keeping secrets. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I think this is the first time we've seen somebody that he has shared secrets with that he knows in a setting outside of, palace intrigue where he is actively trying not to spill too much mm-hmm. out of respect for someone not out of command from his king or to save himself
0: and all of these questions we know as rereaders are because starling thinks the fool is a woman as and is in love with Fitz, and is convinced that the fool is a woman now, that does happen in the Live Ship Traders. Yes. The Fool presents as a woman there, mm-hmm. just as the Fool is presenting as a man in this uh, series. Mm-hmm. The Fool or Beloved does not put any emphasis on genders whatsoever. And Starling is very, very stuck in if the Fool was a man, why wouldn't he love me? Right. Or be it even interested whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So, the Fool must be a woman. And love fits. Right. And that's the whole obsession part. The love part is true.
1: Right. And to be fair, I mean, it would be really intriguing to find out somebody had changed their gender to a different gender just for the sole purpose of being disguised to get further ahead, not because they... You know, felt yeah. that they were that gender. I don't, I guess, I don't know how Starling would be able to tell that with how little right. she knows the fool. But I can see where there would be this interest in, like, oh my gosh, could I do that? Like, how do you go that long without any slip ups of being like found out and,
0: or just being very curious in general about the fool then? Right. Like, and I mean, how did, how did you two meet? Even, yeah. What was he dressed like? Yes. <laughs>
1: even without the like, androgynous look of the fool to lean into Starling feeling like, well, potentially this could be a woman. I feel like the fool is such an interesting person outside of gender that why wouldn't you want to know everything about him? You know, it just, I don't know. I I would want to know, I would ask all these questions, but more so because I'm so curious about everything to do with the fool.
0: I feel like Starling here is kind of seeing the hint of like, oh, this could also be a romantic song and I could make it mm-hmm. an epic adventure. Plus, there's a romance twine through it. Yes.
1: Of and- <laughs> f- love that has come through childhood. Yeah, exactly. Although she knows about Molly. So <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. So I don't know and how
1: she would write that out.
0: <laughs> true love versus a uh, fling, right, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, so that's why she's very, very curious. She's prying. She gives Fool a... You know, how do they call it? A knowing glance or something like that. Mm-hmm. An odd smile and a shake of her head over that.
1: Which is interesting because that means that probably Fool does have a crush on Fitz in this like at this oh, time I, period. Yeah, I think he does. I don't think he did necessarily for most of the series so far. Um,
0: I think we we talked about this a little bit. How mm-hmm. in the beginning I feel like. The fool. Personally, I feel like the fool resented Fitz, or it, not resented. That's a, that's the wrong word. But more so, was scared of getting close to Fitz because right. he knew as the White Prophet, he had to use the catalyst, and the catalyst might die, kind of thing. Right. But as they grew, they grew a little bit closer, and Fool was just and the Fitz was like, "Hey, we're we're good friends. You know, we're best friends." And the Fool was like this guy's awesome (laughs) (laughs) and grew closer and closer. And I think maybe by the end of Royal Assassin, it was growing into more of um, I love this man kind of thing. And then when Fitz was quote unquote dead, that's when we get like the fool's response when he sees him in this book. Like I thought you dead for a full year. Right. That's when like, You know, absent makes the heart grow fonder kind of thing. Mm. True love. He like recognized his full feelings for him kind of thing. That's my headcanon. I don't know if we'll ever find any small hint towards that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. It is hard to tell. And maybe living together all that time made him develop more of a crush because they actually could spend time in each other's spaces for longer. I don't know. Although I don't know how sulky fits would be any type of fodder for crush. Then again, some of my fictional character taste. <laughs> I get it. I, I guess I, I should not throw stones while in a glass house.
0: <laughs> it could also be while in that house when the fool and night eyes had a understanding together because mm-hmm. that could signal like him finally accepting all of Fitz for who he was kind of right. thing. So I don't know.
1: True. I don't know. It is very interesting, though, that now at least
0: it's kind of being picked up on by Starling. Right. As well.
1: Which, to be fair, she is more observant than most. Oh, yeah. Like we've talked
0: about. She is. That's her job is to be observant pretty much.
1: Of course, Fitz doesn't pick up on any of it because he's not thinking of the fool that way. Mm -hmm. And Fitz never notices when people are affectionate towards him in any real sense, (laughs) unless they're directly being like, hey, I really like you. But otherwise, I think it's harder for him to pick up on stuff like that.
0: Right. So, I don't know. So, by afternoon's end, her questions and his answers had become more of sparring in them than conversation, and he was glad to join the rest at the camp, pitched quite a distance from the skill road to give Fitz as much of a break as possible. And he mentions even so, Kettle kept him busy. Letting me do her chores as well as my own for the sake of occupying my mind, which I thought <laughs> sure. it said it's written out in such a straight faced way. But I couldn't help but laugh at this because I'm like, of course, letting her <laughs> letting me right. do her char- chores. That I'm sure funny. Kettle
1: is like, oh, finally. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> and immediately sets out the stone game again after everyone has eaten and everything like that. Half a dozen games later, she squinted up at me with a frown. You were not lying, she accused me. About what? About the wolf devising the solution. Had you mastered that strategy yourself, you would play a different game now. But because someone gave you the answer rather than your discovering it yourself, you don't fully understand it. At that moment, the wolf rose and stretched. I weary of stones and cloth, he informed me. My hunting is more fun and offers real meat at the end of it. So you are hungry? No. Bored. He knows the flap of the tent open and slipped out into the night. Kettle watched him go with pursed lips. I was about to ask you if you could uh, team together to play this game. It would interest me to see how you played. I think he suspected that, I muttered, a bit disgruntled that he had not invited me to join him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it only takes five more games.
0: Which, okay, so they have played 11 games tonight. Uh-huh. This must be a short game to play.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's hard.
0: I guess maybe it could be just like 30 minutes. It wouldn't. Maybe it could be like chess. Like it could be a short game if you're bad and you're just trying to like teach somebody. Right. Like masters could play like for hours for hours, like setting their next moves. But man, 11 games, even if it is just half hour, that's that's so much time. Five hours of playing this game. Five and a half.
1: I don't know. And it could be like any other game where sometimes you make a move so quick that it's just over. Yeah. After. So, like, maybe there are a couple in there that are like just tosses. But yeah. But also, he only has played this game for two days now Mm -hmm. and he has already grasped it.
0: At least that strategy.
1: Well, the simplicity of the way Night Eyes thought about the strategy. Yes, yes. So he now does play differently, Mm -hmm. which I find really intriguing because maybe he wouldn't have got uh, caught on so fast without the answer. I don't think so. But he has, I mean, in two days, he figured out Mm -hmm. the main core concept of this
0: game. Well, of that particular strategy that she was showing, I think she's introducing small strategies and different things throughout the whole thing. So he has puzzles to think on and it's not necessarily this is the main concept of the game. I think she she taught him that the first night, but this puzzle that he was trying to grasp was like a little bit more in-depth strategy. This is a way that you should look at the game, even though it's not like the main goal, you know, like it's just. A little bit more advanced level.
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't know.
0: But he is a very quick learner. And Kettle is... Clearing the board after another, what, like four or five games or something. Mm -hmm. Been playing for like six hours, if it's a half hour long. Six, seven hours. And she sets up another puzzle. Another game state. Again, this is your game and it is your move, she informed me. But this time... You have only a white stone to place. A little weak white stone, but it can win for you. Think well on this one. And no cheating. Leave the wolf out of it. So Fitz thinks on that a bit, but he does join Night Eyes in his sleep. And he has a dreamless sleep besides that. So the game is working for him. Yes. And he kind of frolics and plays with Night Eyes. What? And enjoys it. He doesn't linger on any of his fears or tries to visit any other people. He just stays with night eyes. Right. As he kind of taunts some snow cats, as he scares the Jeppas, as he (laughs) uh, creeps into the tent and pokes the fool rudely with an icy nose. It is good to see you have not Lost all spirit and fun, he told me, as I unlocked my mind from his and roused up in my own body. Very good, I agreed with him, and rose to face the day. So the stone game is helping him a lot. Yeah. The idea of teaching him a game, of of giving him a puzzle, of having him earn these strategies and letting him win a few games, it seems like, (laughs) at the end. Right. Let's kettle lead him on and say, like, he wants to learn more and be willing to spend all this time focusing on it so it locks away his mind right? preoccupies it all night. Yeah.
1: And, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's fair to say letting him win. I think she has to be sure that he is not just doing it by chance. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's fair. So she's making sure that he can win with his strategy. He's, like, truly getting it. But, yeah, it, it is nice to see... Kind of old fits come back a little bit. And in this chapter, he gets to have those friendships cleared up and just have moments with his friends and actually enjoy the moment and not be stuck thinking about Molly or Verity or Regal.
0: <laughs> He's just
1: in the moment with his friends.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks so much for tuning in this week. Listening to us talk about a fictional game yes. that I very much want to know how to play.
1: If anybody has any rules, send them our <laughs> way.
0: If you have anything to say to us or comment on this chapter or want us to talk about a specific topic or have any theories about the, the books coming up or the books that we have read already please let us know at isfitzhappy at gmail.com or you can message us on any of our social medias. And those links are all on our website, isfitshappy.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Reach out. We'll, uh, we'll see what you're talking about.
1: Right. And I do think it is important that we count this chapter as a happy for Fitz yeah. chapter.
0: I, yeah, I think that this is, is the important.
1: the first one. In a a a very long time. (laughs) This is like the most happy book, This uh, most happy chapter this book. I think so. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And which is kind of sad because like, I feel like this is really mild. (laughs) This is just like day after a depressive episode (laughs) sort of feel, but he has kind of fixed his friendship with Ketrakin and the fool and Starling and is learning more about Kettle. He has... His priorities straight. He played with night eyes. He is content. And that is happy for Fitz. So
0: it is. It is very
1: thank you guys for joining us. Okay. So this time we don't have a ton to talk about, but I did get a comment from a listener talking about tattoo ideas and maybe think that it would be really cool if anybody out there has Robin Hobb themed tattoos that they would like to share with us. We won't share them anywhere else. Just,
0: yeah, I, I mean, think it's really cool if you want them, those ideas shared out. Sure, let us know, but I know some tattoos are are personal are personal and you don't want other people having the same ideas or stuff. So Right. No, just
1: more so because I'm curious what's out there. <laughs> um I personally have a tattoo of a bumblebee. Um it is not necessarily Robin Hobb <laughs> inspired, but it works. It's kind of. It fits in. It does. <laughs>
0: And in general, thank you so much to everybody else who commented on our stuff to send in your yes. ideas of Jeppas and things like that. Yes, it's very to fun to see. I think the big consensus is similar to a llama.
1: Yes. A lot of people think llama. Yeah. And I think one person said camel.
0: Uh, camel feet, because it was talking yes. about like... Uh, the paws? Yeah, something like that. So.
1: Which camel do have really weird looking feet, so... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe...
0: So, yeah. So thank you to yes. everybody else who commented.
1: Yes, it is so fun to hear your guys' mental images.
0: <laughs> but it is the new year. Yeah. We Woo. made it a, a whole other year through <laughs> through <laughs> this podcast so far. It's not our anniversary yet. I think that's March sometime. I'd have to mm. look at the dates of everything. <laughs> Some who M knows? month. <laughs> Maybe February, to be honest. I don't know. I don't think it's February. Uh, we might have just registered things in February and yeah, started I think we, in yeah. March. Either way, it is the <laughs> new year. And normally people put out resolutions for the new year. And I feel like I have a couple promises I want to keep to myself regarding, <laughs> you know, this podcast and the books in general. And one for me is I want to reread all of them besides the first three that we're going through. Reread right. all the rest of them this year.
1: Whoa, that's a ton.
0: Yeah, I just didn't read very much last year, so I want to read. It's only what? It's only thirteen books. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it's not only that bad. Thirteen books.
0: <laughs> well,
1: that bad. I don't. I feel like there's just so much in each book that they're.
0: Well, it would be it would be reading for pleasure and not for uh, looking through to find. <laughs>
1: That's, fair. That's right. That's takes Different perspectives. Me so things. long to read these chapters for the podcast yes. specifically. It is like I the think most it takes me reading
0: at least like an hour to go through a chapter. Yeah, which is ridiculous to yeah. think about
1: <laughs> for like 14 pages. Yeah. Um, Same, if not longer. Some of them take like two hours, and that is when I'm like, okay, it is not that serious. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's where I'm like, ooh, I don't know if you can do that. (laughs) But yeah, I guess if you're just reading like a normal person, then yes.
0: yes. (laughs) Yeah, so I want to reread them all just to keep the ideas fresh in my head. And I also. Uh, I don't know if this will ever happen, but I want to get ahead on our posting schedule because we always seem to make an episode and then post it. And then we have to record an episode and then post it. <laughs> yes. So I want to try to get ahead on that. So those are my resolutions in general regarding Robin Hobb. As you said it before, Emma, the realm of the resolutions.
1: <laughs> resolutions of the Elderling, realm of the resolutions, whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any at all or are you just kind of going with the flow?
1: Um. Mm, the last couple of years I've been like anti-resolution.
0: <laughs> That's fair. Same. Same. <laughs>
1: More so just because... Um, Self-care, like, don't
0: set promises, yes, just like, like live. There you is know? no such
1: thing as should, as my friend's therapist told her and she told me. Um, <laughs> that just puts pressure on yourself that you don't need. Uh, but... <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess I think it would be... Good of me to set a more like rigid schedule for what I do on the back end of things for the podcast like social media wise and email wise so that I'm
0: yeah me too for editing I just, yeah I don't know
1: setting schedules is hard
0: <laughs> it is it is um, but pop
1: up. I don't know I guess also just like working on talking more in the podcast, you know everybody's gonna think that you're the talker of the two of us
0: and not the case a misconception if
1: you only knew us from this podcast you would probably freak out to see us in public because i do not shut up
0: and luke barely speaks so
1: So it would be probably pretty weird
0: (laughs) maybe we'll maybe we'll start having episodes emma led here you can you can Direct the conversation through the chapter from topic to topic. I
1: I guess my only fear in doing that is my background in almost becoming an educator. I don't want to sound like a teacher.
0: (laughs) Do it. One episode at least. Come on.
1: Use my teacher voice for an episode. Um, Maybe. No. So I think that those are my main things that are podcast related. All right.
0: Well, we have some goals for us. If you guys have any reread goals or anything like that, please let us know. It'd be fun, too. Yeah. So tattoos and resolutions that way. <laughs> Don't put pressure on yourselves, though. No.
1: Take it easy. Life is hard.
0: It is hard. Yeah.
1: And we're just all chilling, enjoying. Enjoy uh, life.
0: Live it out to its fullest. Yes. And all doing those some cliches. fantasy series, you know. It's
1: yeah. <laughs> like I was going to say, i just
0: enjoy some escapism yeah maybe
1: maybe a good resolution would be to enjoy more alternate reality (laughs) via (laughs) book and like video game i don't know
0: (laughs) thank you so much for tuning in looking forward to hearing your responses and your replies see you guys next week